the desert. A never-ending wilderness, barren and desolate. But even here, if you look closely, there's life to be found. These are yucca brevifolia, better known as a Joshua tree. This single tree could be hundreds, even thousands of years old. And that's because what you see is only part of the story. Underground, there's a massive network of roots going down to water, pulling that water out of the ground and storing it in the tree, keeping the tree alive, resilient to the desert wasteland. In the world today, one in eight Christians are discriminated against, oppressed, even attacked, just because they follow Jesus. They are desperate voices crying out in a dry land. When I became a Christian, my village turned against me. I no longer belong. In China, the government installed facial recognition cameras in our sanctuary. That camera can gather the private data of our church members. They will intimidate them, they will prevent them from going to church. We know from this year's World Watch List that 340 million Christians live in places around the world where they are discriminated against or persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. That number is hard to imagine, hard to get your mind around. But we know that God is faithful. In the book of Isaiah, God tells his people, I will make new ways in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. In midst of persecution, churches are growing more. Through the persecution, God is making the church grow. We are so united together like never before. We have a revival in our church, even in the severe persecution. God has sent a river into the wilderness, and his people are resilient. Like the Joshua tree, they're living boldly in the desert, and they depend upon the church, the roots of his family, for water and support. They are so encouraged by Christians from America. Pray for them, really care for them. It's like a body of Christ. When you read the 2021 World Watch List and let it touch your heart, when you commit to pray for your brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world for their faith, you're helping God make rivers in the desert and helping his children to stand strong for him. The prayer is the core. When you don't know anything, just pray. When you don't understand anything, pray. You will understand. Open Doors has been called into this work to strengthen God's people in the desert and to help them overcome the odds. Will you join us? Let's pray together. We thank you, Father, for your grace. 
that accompanies each moment of our lives. We thank you, God, that you've given us a safe and comfortable and quiet place to meet with your people and to be encouraged in our faith. We pray, Father, that you give us a heart for our brothers and sisters around this world that don't have the advantages that we do. And for those who have never heard the name of Christ, we pray, God, you give us a heart that's not only interested, but a heart that's broken for the lost. Would you speak to us through your word today? Would the Spirit of God be the one that teaches? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You and I have a dangerous calling. And your call to share the gospel is a matter of life or death. We're going to be looking into a chapter in Jeremiah, chapter 1, or a passage in Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses uh, 4 through 9. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9. Let's read that together. I'll read out loud and you can read silently. This is uh, part of the passage that talks about the call of Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. and Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. We're going to be looking today at this passage in Jeremiah that talks about God's call being always clear. The fact that his call is always one that involves risk. And then thirdly, we're going to see that God's call always involves his protection and his provision. Now what you heard and you saw in that short clip is not fiction. It's not a dramatization. There are real people in real places that right now, uh, as you and I sit here all comfy and cozy and warm in our multiple layers or shorts, David, uh, in this warm building, enduring real suffering. They're enduring real suffering. You and I are not. And that suffering involves a loss of position, of income, of possessions, freedom, safety, and sometimes even their lives, simply because they have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ for no other reason. Among those persecuted Christians, there are some countries uh, that we would consider uh, extreme persecutors of the church. Here's the top ten as of recent times. North Korea, this is from one to ten. Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. 
for 20 years as number one, North Korea has demonstrated more severe persecution against any form of Christianity than any other country, any other place on the planet. With a population of about 26 million, there's an estimated 1.5 percent or 400,000 Christians that have zero, zero freedoms in that country. You and I live in freedom and can freely and easily believe in and live out the gospel. You and I not only have freedom, we have opportunity to hear and to communicate to anyone we want to, anyone we choose to, the truth of the gospel. The West has an almost limitless number of ways to hear about and understand the love of God in Christ Jesus. But that's not the situation in the rest of the world. That's what the 1040 window is all about. The 1040 window, for a little over 30 years now, is a term that missiologists have referred, have used to refer to nations within the regions that occupy this part of the planet as the 1040 window, that is between 10 and 40 degrees latitude north uh, of the equator. In this part of the world, there are billions, billions of men and women, boys and girls, who have never heard the name of Jesus, or if they have, they have no idea who he is. And this region is considered unreached, completely unreached to one degree or another. It's here that we find the bulk of uh, the world's uh, UPGs, that is, unreached people groups. A people group being a large gathering, a large grouping of related peoples that share similar language, similar origins, and similar culture. And as strange as it might seem, some of those unreached people groups have been identified here in the United States. Hundreds of unreached people group communities have formed in U.S. cities and towns over the past several decades. Among among them are primarily Muslim, Sikh, Hindu, Buddhist, and Jewish communities. The Joshua Project, a really good resource, by the way, gives us an overview of the people groups of the world. We understand that there are 17, some 17,431 people groups. 7,399 of those are unreached. That is 42.4%. The population of the world being 7.84 billion, that means that 3.28 billion people are unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's 41.8% of the world's population has yet to hear and understand the name of Jesus and his gospel. Of those 7,399 unreached people groups, there are about 3,050 of those people groups that we would consider unreached, unengaged People groups. That is approximately uh, seven. Uh, sorry, two hundred and seventy-eight million people around the world. That is, people who live in those places uh, live among very few believers, if any. There are no churches. There's no access to the Bible or any gospel literature. And if there is, it's most likely not in their language, if they even have a written language. 
There's no intentional mission plan currently being carried out and no realistic chance of these people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then the question arises is, what can I do about that? And how can I make a difference? What's my part uh, in this war that's being waged against the gospel and against our Jesus? I'm glad you asked. God has made it clear, crystal clear, what your part is in this battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. Let's look at this example that we've read here in Jeremiah. Let's look particularly, specifically at verses 4 and 5. We're going to see that God's call is always clear. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God's call to Jeremiah is pretty straightforward here, right? It's a call that comes directly from God. It predates his birth. And it clearly maps out what Jeremiah's life is going to look like in the days, in the months, in the years ahead. Great. What about me, you say? Well, God's message came directly to Jeremiah from the very throne room of heaven itself, from God's own voice speaking to Jeremiah. I don't know about you, but I've never heard the voice of God speaking to me. There's that still small voice of the Spirit of God within me that leads me, but he's never said anything directly to me, not anything, let alone calling me to a specific task or giving me specific instructions or a job to do. But the thing is, he's done exactly that. He's given you and me a clear, defined path for this Christian life. And that calling on your life comes directly from the mouth of God. Because Jesus said to his disciples, and to you and me by implication, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And you can look that up if you want. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I like it when people have their Bibles, if you have this kind of Bible or this kind of Bible, or the one that's in front of you. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Similarly, in John chapter 20, in verse 21, Jesus said this, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says to his disciples before his ascension, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Jesus could not have made your calling more clear. It's crystal clear. God has a specific plan for you and for me. He's told you and me that we're his messengers. He's told you and me in much the same way that he told Jeremiah that we are his ambassadors. We've been given a calling to step outside of our comfort zone, maybe even as far as that last place on planet Earth, and testify of the saving grace of God 
in the gospel of Christ. Each one of us, as we look at those verses, can see that God's call is clear in our lives. There's no mistake. And each one of the verses that we just looked at also makes it clear that our job is always going to involve, our calling is always going to involve speaking and speaking to other people. Now, some of us would like it much better if we could fulfill our calling just by living a good and godly and upright life, being good citizens and good Christians, be a, a testimony, we would say, to other people, but without the testifying part. Actually, there are a bunch of places in Scripture that say that both are implied for Christ followers. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 is one of them. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And then again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 it says this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, Jeremiah's call was clear. Paul's call was clear. Your call and my call is also clear. God is calling us to be his representatives, his ambassadors, his spokesmen. And again, it's clear that he's wanting us to be telling others about Jesus with our lives not just living a life that's upright, but speaking words of truth. Not just to people in a pew, and not just by the preacher or the evangelist or the missionary, but by you and me, not just the people that are paid to do so. Pretty sure that he's making it clear to us that we were never meant to sit in a pew. We were never meant to just sit in a Bible class or a fellowship group, to get all spiritually fed and educated and to sit and soak it all in, all fat and happy, safe and comfortable. In our church, in our fellowship groups, in our family. God didn't leave us here in this world to be saved and to sit in comfort, but to bring the ultimate comfort of the gospel to others. That's why God has called us, and that's what he's called us to do. There are billions of people in this world. Some of them are right next door to where you live. Uh, they're lost. They're without hope, and they need a savior. Let me say that again. There are people that live right next door to you, there are people that maybe even live in your home who are lost and that need a savior. They're without hope. They need a savior. They may die today without a savior, without the joy of their sins forgiven and the sure hope of heaven. It's your calling to engage them with the gospel. Secondly, in verse 6, we see God's calling, God's call is always one that involves risk. God's call always involves risk. Verse 6, then I said, 
Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. So at first glance, you're saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Mike? (laughs) There's no risk here in this verse. At first glance, it seems that way, right? Jeremiah's statement to God maybe is pointing out that he's a humble guy, who doesn't have a lot of public speaking experience, who's just a little bit timid about his age. He's not really that old. But the bigger picture says something very different. Maybe some historical context will help. In 733 B.C., the northern Jewish kingdom of Israel was destroyed and the survivors were taken into captivity by the Persian Empire. God had warned his people through different prophets. There was Elijah and Elisha and Amos and Hosea and Jonah, but they didn't listen, did they? God told them to repent, to come back to him, but they refused. He sent judgment then through a brutal uh, Gentile instrument, the Persians. And this took place about 100 years before the events that we read about here in Jeremiah chapter 1. So Jeremiah was born in 650 B.C., which, by the way, makes Jeremiah about 17 years of age when God spoke these words to him in chapter 1. So think about that for a moment. Jeremiah was 17 years old when he was called in 633 B.C., called by God to be his prophet. So understandably, Jeremiah might be a little bit intimidated. He might feel like he was making a bad career choice by serving as a prophet of God. After all, no one had listened to those guys. Why are they going to listen to me? There are even more facts here that would make Jeremiah afraid than just being ignored or being rejected. Isaiah who was a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, died in 701 B.C., 68 years before Jeremiah's encounter with God here in our passage. Now, you say, what what does that have to do with Jeremiah? So he's a dead prophet. Here's the thing. Jeremiah knew that what God was asking him to do was more than just risky. It, It would most likely result in him dying. He might most likely result in his death. Jeremiah's fear was being murdered like Isaiah was. So Isaiah, according to the rabbis, not in scripture, but according to Jewish tradition, was sawn in two by a king named Manasseh just a short generation before Jeremiah's call. So It was pretty obvious to Jeremiah that it was going to be risky to serve God. But that's Jeremiah's life situation, you say, right? That's not mine. I got nobody chasing after me with a saw. Why would you say that it's always risky to serve God? Why would you say that God's call always involves risk? I'm safe here. Nobody's running after me. I can believe, I can share, I can live how I want to, in safety. But here's the thing. Risk is a relative principle, isn't it? 
We take risks every day. We walk outside of our door every day and have absolutely no idea what lies ahead or if we'll even return home at the end of the day. We risk our pride and our hearts and our self-worth in relationships every day, don't we? We risk being misunderstood and being offended by others whenever we engage in even the simplest conversation with other people, even with people that we love. We risk being wrong about every decision that we make in any given day. We make hundreds, hundreds of decisions in any given day. Even the simplest decisions might be the wrong ones. But I'm not talking about the inherent risks of being a human being on planet Earth. I'm talking about the risk of following the one person whose name brings more anger and hatred and vitriol and violence than any other name in all of human history. That's the name of Jesus. I'm talking about loving and worshiping and speaking about and persuading others and exulting in the name of Jesus and not in anything or anyone else. I'm talking about risking your reputation and friendships and family ties and comfort and maybe even a job promotion because Jesus and his claim on your life is more important than anything that this world has to offer. I'm talking about speaking to someone about the Savior who loved you and gave himself for you on that cross. And then that person just ignores you or laughs at you and, or spits on you or maybe even gets violent with you because you mention the name of Jesus. And no, we don't face anything resembling persecution for the sake of Jesus in this country. Yet. Yet. But stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. Persecution will be coming to a neighborhood near you much sooner than you may anticipate. We've got great, everything great here. I was going to say great freedom, but we have great everything here in this country right now. But do you actually think that when Jesus said what I'm going to read here in a moment about persecution, that his words only apply to other people in other places at other times around the world and not to you and to me? John 15, verses 18 to 20 says this. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Getting that message? Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. And then in Matthew 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, before you. And here's the thing, that's just the human enemies that we have. What about those unseen 
but very real enemies of our soul. What about Satan and his minions? This isn't sci-fi. This is not something made up. It's not drama. There are real spiritual beings whose only desire, their only desire, can I say that again? Their only desire is to destroy any chance you have of living for Christ and of preaching his word and of making much of the name of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There will always be an inherent risk in being a child of God. Even more risk if you want to follow him. If you want to follow his clear call to share the gospel. To be salt and light in this world. To be Jesus to other people. To magnify his name. To lift him up. To tell others about him. To give him glory, not just by how you live, but by what you say. By the things that you make important, by the things to which you give worth and weight. By your life and by your words. There will always be risk. And your call to share the gospel, my call to share the gospel, is a matter of life or death. And number three, God's call always involves his protection and his provision. Verses 7 to 9. The Lord said to me, do not say, I'm only a youth. For all whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. I know a thing or two about you because you're a lot like me. I, I feel inadequate to the task. I never feel like I quite measure up. I never feel like I'm quite there not quite reaching the standard that God set for us. I don't feel smart enough. I don't feel talented enough. I don't feel useful enough. And oftentimes I know I'm not committed enough or interested enough in being what God wants me to be and following the calling that he's made clear to me. Here's the thing. God knows that. And God is fully aware of what he's got to work with. He knows who you are. He knows who I am. The truth is, you're a mess. And so am I. We don't have a clue. We don't have a chance. We don't have a hope. We're weak. We're uncommitted. We're unfaithful. We're totally incapable of doing anything for him on our own. But that's not what he asks us to do. That's not what he calls us to do. 
And that's why I love uh, these next couple verses I want to look at. And that's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I love these verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, clearly, from what we know about what the rest of the Old Testament says, Paul is not saying here that salvation has anything to do with my good works. It's not what he's saying. Okay, we could point to dozens, literally dozens of other verses in Scripture that would completely contradict the possibility of that being how to interpret this particular verse 12. What he's saying here is that it's incumbent upon every single child of God, every Christ follower, to take personal responsibility for your own walk with God, to be intentional about your relationship with your Savior. And that's why I love verse 13, even more than 12. That personal commitment, that personal commitment that I'm supposed to have, I don't know about yours, but, well, no, I do. It's thin. It's really thin. I don't have much of it. It's hard for me to imagine that I could carry out Verse 12. But here's the thing. Paul tells us that we can do what's in verse 12 because of verse 13. Be seriously committed to living 100% for Jesus because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're able to live for Jesus only because God himself gives us the willingness first, the desire to, and then the wherewithal to accomplish his mission. God promises that when he gives us a calling, he'll also give us what we need to get the job done. He doesn't set us up for failure. He will provide everything that we need. He will provide even specific people to talk to even the exact words that we need in the moment that we are called to carry out his task. Luke chapter 12 is a good place to understand God's provision there. Luke 12, verses 11 and 12 says this, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. This is Jesus talking. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Right? He'll give us the words. We see that in verse 7 and also in verse 9. But then in verse 8, we see this, that God promises that in whatever circumstance, into whatever circumstance he leads us, Whatever place he calls us, whatever his calling to us involves, there's a promise that's given. And we have that same promise. Matthew chapter 28, verses, or verse 20, at the very end. 
We read this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are dozens of verses we could look at, literally. Here's another one, Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God protects, he leads, he provides. We have the indwelling presence of God, the spirit of God that lives in us, his living temples. And God says that he will take care of Jeremiah. But be advised, this does not mean that Jeremiah will never be at risk or never face danger. Jeremiah was falsely accused. We, we kind of saw that coming, right? He was rejected. He kind of saw that coming. But he was also assaulted, beaten, tortured, and imprisoned in a cistern for being God's instrument. As a matter of fact, it turns out that Jeremiah was, as his predecessor, Isaiah, also murdered, according to Jewish tradition. Tradition tells us that he was stoned to death by Jews in Egypt, of all places. God never promised Jeremiah an easy life. But what he promised Jeremiah is that he would never be alone and that God would not give him an assignment that he could not complete. What God promises is that He will allow Jeremiah to be his prophet and to be safe until the job is done. That's clear. Nothing in this world will prevent Jeremiah from completing the task that God has laid out for him to accomplish. And you and I have that same promise. You will not leave this world one microsecond before God wants you. Before he calls you home. God's promise is that, he, that you and I could never be more safe than we are right now as we walk in the very center of his plan for us. It's the same thing that Jeremiah heard that same promise as yours and mine. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. Colossians 3.3 3 says this, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's no safer place. No higher refuge, no stronger tower than that union that you and I have with Christ. He'll give us everything that we need to carry out his plan and his purpose for our lives. Your call and my call is to share the gospel And that call is a matter of life and death. It's not just a vocational thing. It's God's hand on your life. It's him directing you. It's him giving you purpose in this world. Have you ever wondered, why am I here? What am I doing here? Is it just my job? Is it my family? Am I just a a son? Am I just a... A brother? Am I a a husband, a father, a grandfather? Is that all I'm here for? Am I only here because I have stuff to do? 
to live this life, to get up in the morning and go about my business and then do what I'm supposed to do during that day and be productive, whatever that looks like, and then go to bed and the next day rinse and repeat. Is that what life is about? Not for the child of God. He's made it clear. He's made it clear that we're to live each day as though it were our last, the last chance that we have to fulfill his calling to bring the gospel to a world who's lost, who needs life, that can only be found in the Savior and in his gospel. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for the power of the gospel of Christ, for it is the gospel that is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and also to Gentiles like me. So we're grateful for your son. We're grateful for his cross, for the empty grave, for his ascension and his victory for us. The fact that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places as Ephesians tells us, that we are, we're home, we're safe in your arms, that we're hidden with Christ in God. And there's nothing in this world that can change our relationship with you. And so, God, we're safe, even though it's a dangerous calling that you called us to, God. We're safe in you. Help us, God. Give us courage. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Guide us. Help us to listen to the voice of the Spirit of God as he seeks to speak to us every moment of every day, to guide our lives, to direct us to the places you want us to go and the people you want us to speak to, and then give us the words that we need, God, to carry that call out. Help us to make much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.